When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Today's guest is my good friend, Jarrett Reddick, lead vocalist, guitarist, and songwriter for the Wichita Falls, Texas punk rock band, Bowling for Soup. Together, we break down the writing, recording, and inspiration behind the smash hit Grammy-nominated single, Girl All the Bad Guys Want, taken from their 2002 album, Drunk Enough to Dance. Jared is the primary songwriter in Bowling for Soup, and this was the first song he had ever co-written with somebody else. That somebody being producer Butch Walker. The band already had the record recorded, and at the very last minute, the label asked Jared if he'd be open to hearing a song idea that Butch had. Jarrett enthusiastically agreed, and the rest is, well, history. Not just for Bowling for Soup, but also for Butch Walker. This song was a pivotal point in both of their careers. Bowling for Soup is still out there killing it year after year, and Butch, well, he's no stranger to success, having worked with the likes of Avril Lavigne, Green Day, and Weezer. Oh, and the laughs and fun these guys had making this song, it should be criminal. To hear all about it and a whole lot more, don't touch that dial, or I may just revoke your season pass to the racetrack. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Jarrett, my man, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. I don't know if I've ever told you this. I, I don't know how you do everything in a 24-hour span. I'm assuming you, you sleep six to seven, maybe eight hours. I don't know if you're lucky you get eight hours. I don't get eight a night. But you're one of the hardest working men in rock and roll. And I mean that with all my heart, not just as your friend. So thank you for sitting in with us and making some time this morning. No, thank you. Yeah, I mean, the thing about me is, is I don't, have any hobbies because doing what we do for work is what I love to do. And so yeah. if it's not spending time with my family or, you know, taking care of something that I, that I absolutely need to, then I'm, I'm doing something that to, to, to most people, you know, seems like I'm working, but, um, I just love it. I feel the same exact way, and I can share that sentiment. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't have time for a bowling league, or if I had buddies that wanted to go golfing, or I just wouldn't have time. And all all my time is spent with either my family or uh, what we love to do. What I love to do. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I admittedly will play golf. You know, four or five times, probably three or four now times a year. <laughs> uh, but even that, you know, I mean, it's with Gary. 
uh, our drummer and, and we're talking about work, you know, the whole time. And so, yeah. yeah. But you know, again, I, it's, you know, making people smile and, and being creative and all of that. I mean, this TikTok thing, man, I mean, it's like, it was just handmade for me, you know, mm-hmm. cause it's just what I love to do. And yeah. uh, I can get on there and I can be silly or talk about mental health or I can, I can play a song or what it's, it's just, those are all the things that I, that I love to do. So yeah, man, I, I stay busy, but I'm happy to be here, man. I'm glad I was one of your first episodes, I think. And so you were, uh, you were, you were episode number two. So you uh, are a repeat guest and, and, and this is awesome. And, you know, going back on the timeline for some reason, okay. Uh, I was under the impression that the, the track we're going to talk about today, Girl All the Bad Guys Want, I thought this was on the next record with 85, but it was on Drunk Enough to Dance. And, you know, this song, I mean, 85 just eclipsed everything because it was so massive, but let's not, let's not for a second take anything away from this track. This song was huge. In fact, when you play it live and I look out, to me, there's nights it gets as good or a better reaction than 85. This song is a lot of firsts for us. This is definitely the song that I would say, you know, for lack of a better term, broke us. You know, we we had done uh, Let's Do It for Johnny. The Bitch Song was the single, and that record did not do all that well, but it started our career in the UK. And then when this record came out, you know, we were still considered a quote-unquote rock band. This came out in 2002, Drunk Enough to Dance. Yeah. And uh, so they were working us to rock radio with little uh, success. And then a pop station, uh, David Edgar is the name of the PD in Indianapolis, put it under Radio Now, I believe it was called, and uh, put it into power rotation over the Christmas break, which us industry people know, if you go on radio over the Christmas break, it's four to six weeks of that same schedule because they all go on vacation. So there's yeah. no like additional reporting or anything. So when everyone came back from that Christmas vacation, people were like, what is going on with this song? Well, and then the Grammy nomination happened. And so all of a sudden, all at once, this song we're Grammy nominated. This song crosses over into pop radio which is a completely different world for us. Sure. And it changed everything. You know, we went from, honestly, we didn't go from van to airplane because we were just doing radio shows for (laughs) a a little over a year, which is worse, as you know. Like, people are like, oh man, airplane, that sounds great. No, it's the worst because- you know, your hours or you're, you know, you're up at 4 a.m. to fly somewhere to have nothing to do until 8. And then, you know, it's just, you know, it's, it's brutal. But yeah, a lot of first. And, and, and sorry to keep going on this one, but the other first this is, Chris, this is my very first co-write. Oh, geez. So I had never co-written a song. Never. And real real quick with that, it was with Butch Walker, who's been a, a previous guest here on the show, and I've loved Butch since I first heard of him in South Gang years ago. I've always loved his writing and his production is, is fantastic. A couple things. How did the meeting come up with Butch? How was that presented to you from Jive Records? And yeah. Two-part question. Uh, In hindsight, looking back, I know you said it did okay for you in the UK, kind of opened things up for you there, but were there any hits on Let's Do It for Johnny for you? You you thought could have crossed over to American radio? Uh, So I'll do it backwards. So Let's Do It for Johnny. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think that we could have probably given it a better effort. There was a few songs, you know, when we got signed to that deal in 1999, uh, you know, the bit song was, was definitely leading the charge. But, you know, for us, there was a little bit more substance 
to what we were doing. You know, I think pictures he drew on that record could have done something. Um, everybody liked this song, Dance With You. Although, Dance With You is one of those weird songs. I don't know if you've got, if you guys have ever experienced this or not, but like we recorded that for an album. And then when we went in to do it for Let's Do It for Johnny to re-record it, we didn't recapture it. Like it, it's not as good. And there is something about that, you know, and it's, you know, some of us call it demo-itis and, but it's bigger than that. Like sometimes you just can't recapture that magic. So, um, yeah, I think that there were definitely some songs had we been given another chance. I mean, even Sucker Punch, I think could have done something, but it's because everything was catching on in the UK that they sort of were like, Hey, we need to go do a new, another record and sort of like, restart this process so when you're on a major label and they're pushing you to do that second record because your goal is to get to the third record you know because it's it's like if you can get past that second one you get into the third one then you actually start to get real budgets and you know and their commitment becomes a little bit like you know okay well we're gonna have to fulfill this entire deal were you guarded about butch where what was that like because i mean you're yeah. the sole writer on all these songs yeah. you look at you look at the record everything says reddick except yeah. for the co-write with butch so what did that do to you as a young younger songwriter well you know i was open to whatever and so butch came in as the producer first and so honestly <laughs> you know much like you you know we're metal kids and i I got, I knew who he was. I knew who Marvelous three was. I knew who South gang was. I was, I, I loved the Marvelous three hit, you know, and I, Oh yeah. I had seen them live and there's just not a better live band than Marvelous three. I mean, it just, it, they're just not, you know, I mean, they're just so good. And he's, he's such an entertainer and, and, you know, I just knew, you know, and so he at the time was a young producer that was getting into some stuff. He had done a lit record and a stroke nine record. You know, I mean, this was he was just sort of dipping his foot in. So as for, it started out as a producer, I'll never forget this. Uh, I was on the phone with him. I was walking around, my, pacing around my apartment and I'm talking to him and, and, you know, and he goes, OK, you just send me the songs. I like them. I sent him 17 songs. And he's like. Yeah, I like all these. He goes, you know, I work a little bit different. Uh, you know, <laughs> we we kind of fast forward. We get, we're going to get through the drums. We're going to do this. Season. When we get to guitar and things like that, listen. If if uh, if we're if we get stuck, I'm just going to grab the guitar and play it for you because I'm really good. And I was just like, <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, all right. And so that's really the first thing that. Ego wise, you know, I never really had an ego per se, but that's the first thing I really had to learn was that like, hey, we're are all in this together. And if he can save us, you know, 40 minutes by just grabbing this guitar and just playing this part, I'm going to freaking let him. Also, it kind of made you in a way step up your game. Here's a guy kind of laying down the gauntlet a little bit like, hey, partner, we're, we're going for this. Yeah, we're doing this and we're limited amount of time. And, you know, I got to do this. So, so back to the when I, when I told the guys, I'm like, Hey, you know, this guy's going to produce our record. And I just put ready, sex, go on. And it just starts with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I can dish it out, but you know I can't take it when the talking about the five and, and never know. And and you're just and they're just like what? They're like this is the greatest thing we've ever heard. And so we were excited um, going in, and 
So, so to lead into how the co-write happened, we were going to write a song. So I went in a day early and honestly, he just picked me up in his car and took me to watch him get a haircut at his sister's house. <laughs> and we went and got some food. And Don't we tell me that's the inspiration for this song. <laughs> we just drank <laughs> beers and we never wrote a song. But what we had done was we had started this dialogue about, and this, this will give you a little insight into the video. We had started this dialogue about what was going on in music and the singers that were mad at their dads, which is a vocal, which is a line that we end up using. And so our goal in this w- was if we do write a song, let's write a song about, you know, these, all of these guys that are so mad at their dads, you know, this, this mad at dad rock that's happening right now. And, <laughs> and you know, I, <laughs> the thing is, you know how I am and you know me as a person, I, I would never like take an actual, che- uh, you know, like a shot at somebody, but I will definitely observe what is happening and comment on it. Sure. Um, and so, you know, that, that was what was on the radio on the, on MTV was, you know, stained and, and Limp Biscuit and, you know, all of these disturbed and, and the, and these bands like that, that were just like, you know, I mean, stained obviously being the ones that we took the biggest shot at and, and sort of to me being the poster child of all that. But yeah, that's, that's the way that it came out. So to get to the song, we recorded the whole album and then my A&R guy calls me and he goes, Hey, Butch wants you to come in the studio early today. Cause he, he wants to, he wants you to listen to this idea that he's got. And I'm like, okay. What I didn't realize is that, you know, at the level that he was on, it, it was more than just going, Hey, let's me and you write a song. Like his manager, like made the deal, you know, like, okay, if Butch is going to write a song, this is how it's going to go. And you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they're going to own this percentage of it. And just to make sure that before we even walked in that room, everything was good. He was being protected already. Well, and remember he's trying to build a career and this exactly. led to, a- this led to writing songs for Avril Lavigne and everything that came after it. So, so this was, this was, uh, this was building something for him as well. This was honestly, this record, you know, was, but was, yeah, before next thing, you know, all of American rejects and you know simple plan good Charlotte. everybody's going through his door and then of course the Avril Lavigne thing happens and they hit it off and and uh you know he the rest is history he he does you know pink and whoever he wants now I mean he's done a Weezer Green Day Frank Turner now like it's it's just bonkers what what he has done and you know what he he's that good I I can just tell you he's that good as a producer what he does is you know, that was my thing is I was worried about working with a producer because I had never worked with an outside producer before. And I thought, man, he's just going to come in here and change all my shit. And like, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to feel about that because I've never had that before. And that's not what happened. He came and he would change one line and you'd go, oh, okay. Well, that makes it. See, but you know what? Like Emily, he, you know, we had an intro to that song. He was like, oh man, let's just go into it. Like it wasn't supposed to be like uh-huh. this. And, and you're just like, Oh my God. And then that drum hits in and you're just like, ah, and you know, little things like that was what he was doing with us. Do you know what I found Jared, when I first opened my mind to working with a producer was that when the producer would tell me that my guitar part wasn't fitting the song, I would sit back, take a deep breath, swallow, kind of analyze and think about what he was saying. However, if Roger or somebody else said it, I'd be angry. <laughs> right, you yeah. know, having that extra set of eyes in there, and then all of a sudden they change one word and you go, wow, my song is better. You know what? I So I have such an interesting relationship with my band that I can sort of just do that, you know? But I will say, you know, at that time, 
you know, we were so young and stuff. I think had I micromanaged Gary through record, that record or even the next record, you know, it probably wouldn't have been as smooth as it, what, what it was before or even today. Yeah. And it was sort of nice to have that, you know, and, and we still have that in that like Linus of Hollywood will normally do Gary's drums and, and, uh, and then the bass and stuff like that. So it's not, you know, daddy, as they call me, just standing over them, you know, oh, one yeah. more thing he's going to micromanage <laughs> and you're so right. In that, but yeah, that was the thing is that that he he was able to really really get those guys clicking on all cylinders and something that we really hadn't done before to make sure that Gary what Gary and Eric were playing were really adding to the song to making sure that that the rhythm that was being put down for us to play to was absolutely on on every right. single song and right. he certainly accomplished that. Well, before we jump into the song, I got one more thing. The song was nominated for a Grammy in 2003 in the Best Pop Performance by a Duo or a Group with Vocal Category. And I had read, <laughs> and you know, how many late nights have I had with you telling crazy stories? I've never heard this, but evidently Joan Rivers said you had the worst outfit at the Grammys that year. Can you expound on this? Not only that, she goes, she, uh, <laughs> Joan she, Rivers? walking by and, you know, at that point, you know, all we were all skinny except Chris and uh, she's like live on the thing. And she, she on her show just goes, look at this fatty over here. And she's like points to Chris. And then she, uh, Jimmy Kimmel set, points them out in the crowd and go, here's the biggest guy with the smallest head. And like, we were just, our outfits just really took over for us. And yes, we won. We got best. We got worst dressed. Yeah. Uh, do the show best and worst dress and then uh we people magazine did a whole thing on it so <laughs> that was the deal for what i would tell everybody was so funny about that was you know it's when our grandparents finally we could tell you know, our grandparents figured out what we were doing was because yeah. they were at the beauty shop and we were in people magazine for our outfits at the grammys you know and they were just like oh okay well i guess this is just what they do now you know they're not just driving around you know yeah uh, yeah. but this, uh, looks, but this yeah. looks legit joan rivers is talking about my grandson joan rivers worst dressed yeah and uh so so that was a big uh that's a big <laughs> plus for us we wore that like a badge and i um, i i would have wore it like a badge too well the song's three minutes and 18 seconds jared uh the intro the first four bars guitar is centered playing the main hook riff so catchy on bar five we get a stereo guitar slide in followed by eight more bars of drums, bass, and stereo guitars, and that guitar centered uh, is is going all the way through as well, just hitting you with that hook. Uh, a 16th note tambourine also joins the party here when the band kicks in. <laughs> Eight o'clock, Monday night, and I'm waiting to finally talk to a girl a little cooler than me. Her name is Nona. She's a rocker with a nose ring. She wears a two-way, but I'm not quite sure what that means. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? It's the funniest thing because that is probably the biggest question that I get. Probably the biggest question that I get besides how'd you get the name of the band or are you bowling to earn soup or, or to support it or whatever? The, the biggest <laughs> question I get is what the hell is a two way? 
And, you know, it's funny because when you have that conversation and it's like, you know, what we meant by, of course, there's innuendo in that, but it's a pager, you know, but the, but the thing is, is that a two-way pager, uh, but some people would call it a two-way. And so, you know, it sounded dirty. So that in the song, you know, never before, never did we think that, you know, 20 something years later, would would we have you know so still literally i just did a tiktok about this the other day uh, you know by 2002 people were you know i had a cell phone by then i mean a pager is kind of outdated here were you kind of being ironic with yourselves with that lyric how it's it's very strange absolutely yeah i mean that was the point was it just like this sounds started <laughs> basically it was like and it also made her made her we are trying to make ourselves even less cool. I mean, that was that was the the point of like, you know, she's a rocker with the nose ring. She she's a little cooler than me. You know, yeah. like like this guy doesn't even know what a pager is. And you know, at that point we were all getting cell phones, you know. Even um, the name Nona, you could have picked yeah. any names. It's a two syllable name. Why Nona? Nona sounds like 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 your great aunt or your grandma's name. It's an old fashioned name kind of. Yeah, it was uh Butch's dog's name. And it, it just, you know, it's sort of like one of those names from, from the past, like Lola, Nona, you know, those, those kind of like just sing songy sort of sixties names, you know? Yeah. Yeah. To me, it just, it made her look cooler. You know, it made her look like she's more with it kind of thing. And I'm going to ask you as we, we comb through the tune here, but uh, up to this point, verse one, the intro, anything changed from the initial song? And did you guys ever uh, record a demo for this? Never recorded a demo. This thing. No, because uh, it was, was too late in the recording process, right? Too late. We were done with the record. We were yeah. absolutely done. And so I, uh, no, I mean, I, you know, I gotta, I gotta say, you know, that when I heard that guitar riff, uh, first of all, I didn't even know what drop D was. And so when I, when I heard him play that just on, it wasn't even on an acoustic, we recorded this record in like a storage facility. So like, uh, it's hard to explain, but like you went in and like, he, he had like a warehouse and then a second warehouse with a window in it. And like, he had put carpet in there and, and, you know, but it was nothing fancy, but it was, you know, butch fancy because everything he does is, is awesome. And so, you know, you just had all the amps, all the amp heads were in there and the speakers were in the other room and he just, he had it wired up and he played me the riff and I was just like, oh my God, that's freaking amazing i'm like i don't even know how you do that and he goes well this is drop d tuning and you know i'm just like yeah okay i don't know what that is either you know and he's just like well you tune this string to this and then and chris is you know later on i said chris is like man you know what that is that's that Marilyn manson riff that we mess around <laughs> with all the time you know the and and uh but yeah man just to me that guitar riff is such a big part of the hook oh um, yeah it, absolutely it, like people hear the first two notes and they lose their minds, as yeah. you said. Um, that's how that that's how the song starts. Yeah, yeah. The way that he recorded it too. Uh, so he played that, but we did it with a baritone guitar and we did it with uh, with two amps, and it's just like the combination of all that. But yeah, I'm sorry. I, th- I think I got off the question. No, that's <laughs> fine. Ba- baritone guitars are killer. They just give this. Uh, it's just like a. I can't even describe it. It's just such a cool, a cool, thick sound. Uh, verse one, drum, stereo guitars, and it sounds like there's like some what I call hair on the bass. It's a little distorted. It's absolutely. Got this, it is really mean sounding, and I don't recall that from just casually listening to this track, but really getting into. It, I was like, wow, that bass is really dirty. The tone is killer, uh, and the yeah. stereo guitars are playing what I'm calling loose 
eighth note palm mutes. There's a lot of feel here. It's not really locked on either side. How important was that with Butch? Do you recall? Because a lot of times you want them to be fully locked. Like it's, I don't know, Metallica or something. They got to be completely locked uh, for this particular song. But for this, I think if they would have been locked, it would have been sterile. This is when we first started doing this. This is Butch's production. This is This whole record is like that. It's me on both sides and then sometimes Butch on both sides and Chris up the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Chris will come in. Chris is, Chris plays real thick. Uh, and so he, he will thicken up the choruses and the bridges and things like that. But most of the tight stuff, this is where I started using more of a plexi sound all, you know, all because of Butch and like way less distortion so that it would sound tighter, but you still wanted it to sound like there's two guys playing. This is the way we recorded after this for years and years and years. We've sort of broken this a little bit, but it, but still for the most part, if I'm the one that's, that's recording us, it's two of me and one of him up the middle. And, and that's, you know, it's still, that's the Bowling for Soup sound. Yeah. Well, I, I like it. Like I said, it's, it's, it's loose. It, it's tight in the band sense for a recording, but there's still a little push and pull. I like how it breathes there. And yeah. now the song just starts getting weird here. Okay. <laughs> it, it just, it just does. I'm calling this the pre-chorus one setup. The next three lines. And when she walks, all the wind blows and the angels sing. She doesn't notice me. Like, right. After that, that's where the chorus is going to come in. Uh, oh, no. Right. No, 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 no. Yeah. Now we get to this long pre-chorus. We're going to get to that in a second. But we get our first harmonies here on When She Walks, on yeah. The Wind Blows and The Angels Sing. And then we get these ah-ah backing vocals between that and the next line. She doesn't notice me. Really nice left and right separation with the ah backing vocals that are happening there. But what was the thought here going into the next part? Because the next part, it's like you got two choruses in this song. Yeah, there's definitely the two chorus thing. And thanks for pointing out the ah, ah, ah part. That is textbook Bowling for Soup. You know, that is like, that's our shit. You know, we we still do that to this day, 30 years in, you know. Um, and uh, it's it's funny because even with my country band, we're throwing that on stuff and and I'm taking it out as much as I'm putting it in because I'm going, <laughs> oh, that just sounds like Bowling for Soup. I, yeah, I can't, I don't, I can't I don't do that do trick. It. I don't want to do that trick here. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the thing. So I had told him, you know, it's funny because I said, I can't write those choruses where like you just say the same thing over and over. Like I've uh-huh. never been able to do that. You know, there's, there, there's so many songs that are like that. And, and I'm just, I'm always like, God, that is such a gift to be able to do that, to know like when that's enough of a hook to just say the same thing over and over again, born in the USA, we're not going to take it, you know, exactly. It's just, you know, yeah. You know. It's just, I just think that's not enough. The, to me, this this is the chorus, to, it, and I almost feel like the girl, the bad guys want, ends up being like a post-chorus kind of thing. But okay, you know, yeah, but 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 I don't know. You know, I, I I just feel like this song is literally like as um, you know, what's the guy from the Black Eyed Peas, the really really good producer guy? Uh, Will I am? Yeah. It's like you know, he's like every single part of the song should sound like a chorus, and I'm like, if there's any Bowling for Soup song that does that, it's Girl, the bad guys want. Oh, yeah. Well, and I'd make the argument that this was the chorus, but then it goes into like a B part off this pre-chorus. We'll get there right now. It's just yeah. very strange how long it takes to get to Girl All the Bad Guys Want. But <laughs> when we do finally get there, Jarrett, 
It's yeah. only at 55 seconds. And in the weirdest way, I feel like I've been listening to a two-minute song. It's not laborious. It's not like, oh, this song's going on forever. I couldn't believe how quick it got to the chorus with all this being thrown at you here. Uh, the pre-chorus one we were talking about, uh, and when she walks, that section, the stereo guitars there move to a strumming pattern. The next section here, what I'm calling pre-chorus one, the chorus setup. It's me, cause she's watching wrestling, creaming over tough guys, listening to rap metal, turntables in her eyes. It's like a bad movie, she's looking through me, if you were me then you'd be screaming someone shoot me, as I fell miserably, trying to get the girl all the bad guys Cause she's watching wrestling. Creaming over tough guys, <laughs> listening to rap metal, turntables in her eyes. It's like a bad movie. She is looking through me. If you were me, then you'd be screaming someone shoot me as I fail miserably trying to get the girl all the bad guys want. The first line here, a couple interesting things, Jarrett. I've always said, and I never realized this really till getting into the show, you know, the chorus can start in many different places. It can start before the downbeat of the actual chorus. It can start right on the downbeat. It can start right after. Well, here in this pre-chorus, the first, because she's watching wrestling, that's over the part before it. She doesn't notice me. Before that part ends, that line already comes in. After each line here, the first four lines, up to turntables in her eyes, we get dun-dun. So the band's doing these big stops. The lead vocal here sounds doubled through this whole section. Do you recall? Oh yeah, double everything. Yeah, this okay. might, this might be this might be tripled. I don't remember, but but uh, yeah, we double everything. Okay, well after this dun dun part, okay, when it goes, it's like a bad movie. We get harmony on that all the way through. Screaming, someone shoot me, and the last two lines, you don't get a harmony until you hear "girl, all the bad guys want." And the reason I pointed out that first line in the pre-chorus, because she's watching wrestling, uh, and well, actually, just because she's watching, that's over the other section. Same thing here. Before we get out of pre-chorus one, the "girl, all the bad guys want" hits before the downbeat of when it actually comes in. Uh, after you say, girl, all the bad guys want, we also get a call and response with want there. Uh, so the hook starts before the downbeat. I love that. We get harmonies on the next line because she's the girl all the bad guys want. We get the want call and response. And that guitar melody hook is all through this chorus. Uh, and when you get done saying bad guys want, we get a four bar basically reintro before verse two. So a lot here in this section. When you go to It's Like a Bad Movie, the stereo guitars go back to eighth note palm mutes there. So it does these big dun-dun chugs with the band, okay, which sounds like a chorus, but then it goes back down again. Very interesting. You know, gosh, I wish I could take credit for that part. Uh, that's definitely Butch Walker. T- to me, I think it's one of those things where it's like you- you're sort of teasing at this point. Like, are, mm-hmm. when are they gonna? When are they finally gonna tell us what the hell's happening here? And uh, if you know, you get to the she wretched. Uh, first of all, let me just say how brilliant the call and response thing is because it's yes. very hard to sing that song, <laughs> and so uh, that has done me very very well because most of the time the audience knows, so I can give them every other line. Uh, um, which is nice, but um, but yeah, I feel like it drags out so long that there's this anticipation. And it almost makes you more excited 
when you get the payoff for Girl the Bad Guys. For a poppy song that's sitting there in these eighth notes in the groove you're in, you want to talk about tension. It just keeps going. You know, looking through me, if you were me, then you'd be screaming something. Yeah, Yeah, that's the perfect word. There's certain songs that are just like that, and this is one of those, you know, where I feel like we, just extending that part, because we could have waited and doubled Mm -hmm. that, doubled that later. But the fact that we did it on the first one, you're you're exactly right. It's the tension of that. It's just like, mm-hmm. and it, and it's just there's this just amazing buildup to when it it curl the back, and then it just opens up as you said with that riff, and the band is open, and I'm like, uh, uh, by the way, learning to play and sing that at the same time was really fun. Um, <laughs> but uh, but you know, uh, <laughs> it, luckily that's just one of those autopilot things, you know, where I could I don't know that I could break it down for you. I just do it, you know. Yeah, you know right, right. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I've had people say, Hey, can you show me how to play this riff? I'm like, no, I just play it. <laughs> yeah. I just play it. I literally just yeah. sat there and like, you know, learned it. And then I'm just like, I, you know, okay. My, my hand just does this now. I don't even, you know, I could, I couldn't sit here and break it down for you, but did you ever question this section with Butch and just be like, man, it's just, or did it, did it just kind of become, uh, become its own thing? It became its own thing because we were working out those lyrics together and we were having so much fun by this point. You know, I mean, just the fact that we got creaming in a song <laughs> that was on the yeah. fucking radio, dude. Like it creaming was creaming over tough guys. Yeah. I mean, that's that is so gross. But like it is on it that was on pop radio everywhere. There's not a pop station that didn't play this song, you know. And uh, and so I'm I'm, just, I'm, pic- I'm picturing some lady picking up her children from the pickup, you know, parent pickup line, singing <laughs> singing that line. You know what happened? You know I what happened, dude? I so I I, I this is another <laughs> TikTok the other day actually, and uh, some some girl commented and she goes, you know, it was later in life that I had realized that, that you know from the time I was in the fifth or sixth grade i was i was singing creaming over tough guys you know <laughs> in the car with my mom you know and uh but yeah it, that's, that's again we were having and you know we had just made a record so we had already been in this room together for four weeks three mm-hmm. four weeks and we had so many inside jokes by now you know we were we were bonding over the first tenacious d record that big jimmy eat world record you know do you know what's uh, great though is i think you know i don't know if this was uh, uh genius on butch's part that it was pre-thought of or genius just because it kind of happened the way it did but it, but i think it's genius that that he waited yeah. till the end because if he would have came at you right away that could have might have thrown off your whole mojo to your point by this point you're relaxed you're telling jokes you know what everyone likes to eat everyone's you know you're 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 finishing each other's sentences kind of exactly we're on the same plane it's the brilliance of it it really is i i've thought about that for 20 years chris i've thought yeah. about how it's so God, funny i love that kind of stuff we kept talking about the fact that we would write a song or whatever but he somehow and and i again i don't really feel like it was like this, uh, I don't feel like he's like trying to keep my, my mind off my Christmas presents, you know, like, I don't think it's that kind of thing. I think it was just, I really do think you're right. I think he was developing that bond with me knowing like, Hey man, we're going to be able to write a way better song if we're, you know, lifetime friends by the time we do it. And, you know, mm-hmm. rather than just sit, you know, cause I do a lot of co-writes now. And, you know, you're there are definitely the ones with inside jokes are way more fun. You and I would have a lot of fun writing a song. Sure. Me flying and writing a song with a stranger can be fun, but it's not going to be near, you know, all of the laughs and stuff, which we got out of this. I mean, me and me and Butch on this particular song can just text each other 
you know, about the Trans Am or the mullet line and just both are just crying laughing because <laughs> yeah. we had so, so anyway, so back to your question, I didn't question it because it, to me, I was just so happy that we were getting so much substance into this. I'm a lyric guy. And so, as you said, so much happens in the first 50 seconds of this song. You, you have such a picture in your head, yeah. you know, that we have painted you such a picture of who this girl is and what's going on. And, and you, you have so many, you know, my friend dressed up as Nona for Halloween two years ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you can well, I mean, this girl. let me tell you something. How many times have I heard this song? Okay. I just heard you play it a month ago in Vegas. I sat side stage, watch you play it. I never thought it was weird until I started breaking it down. It's very different. It really yeah, is just everything different. that you go through to get to this chorus. Right off of chorus one, like I said, we get that four bar when I'm calling a reintro with that guitar lick and it breaks right back down to verse two, pretty much the same instrumentation as verse one. Was this cut to Pro Tools, this record? Yes, this is our first cut. to. So our drums were recorded uh, to tape. Bass was recorded to tape. All of that was dumped. And then this is our very first record on Pro Tools. So this is, again, a lot of firsts here, Chris. Like I, I, This is me also... I had never not recorded a tape before. So being able to record this again, the Jarrett Reddick signature thing. Now the second verse and the bridge are, were written in the booth. Like we're literally talking about the lyrics as we're cutting it, you know, and that's how I do things. Now I write all my songs. I finish the first verse for the most part. And I'm like, okay, I'm good to go. I'll just put that in the second verse for the demo, whatever. And then we get to the recording booth and I'm like, Oh, I need, five minutes to write this second verse there's something about that uh that pressure that that 11th yep. hour of of uh, coming coming up with stuff that, that can that can be awesome she likes the god smack and i like agent orange her CD changers full of singers that are mad at their dad. There it is. She, she says she'd like to score some reefer and a 40. <laughs> she'll never know that I'm the best that she'll never have. Yeah. See how brilliant is that? And you know how much we were laughing about that because we, we call them the Godsmack who sat behind us at the Grammys, by the way, and uh -huh. were so sweet and nice. And uh, Shannon Larkin's my second favorite drummer of all time next to Gary. Oh, yeah. by the way. And so I was just, you know, because you're a, you're a metal kid. We knew Rathchild, right? Of so, course. Rathchild. Yep. Rathchild. Uh, so, and he played an ugly kid, Joe, which is unbelievable. <laughs> and Amen, by the way, too. I didn't know that. Yeah. But yeah, so. Uh, you know, we, we laughed so hard during all of this and, and, <laughs> uh, just, you know, the, the, the fact that we got the God smack and then I was like, man, we got to have a really cool name because like we, we need to put like a really, really classic punk band and agent orange, uh, became that, that band. And funnily enough, we played with them in Dallas, not, not too long after that. And then, and we've met them since and, uh, and they're, they're very appreciative of the tribute. Hey, everybody, don't go anywhere. We got lots more coming up with Jarrett Reddick after a few words from our sponsors. Hey. 
I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now at Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts. Do you like to laugh, geek out on music, and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day, but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth? If so, you need to subscribe to One Hit Thunder. Together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests, we do a weekly dive into one-hit wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Crayshon's Gucci Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll to Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Past the Duchy, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come baby come and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast. And now back to the show. Will we get a harmony on best that she'll never have at the end of verse two pre-chorus two setup. And when she walks, all the wind blows and the angels sing. She'll never notice me. Same lyric as the first time, same harmonies and those ah ah backing vocals, pretty much the same instrumentation as the first pre-chorus one setup. And then Jarrett, as if the pre-chorus one <laughs> section wasn't long enough, we yeah. decided to add four bars here. Now it's even longer before you get the girl all the bad guys want again The first four are the same because she's watching wrestling, creaming over tough guys, listening to rap metal, turntables in her eyes, and we get those same dun-dun, the band stopping after each line. Then we hit him with this. She likes him with a mustache. Racetrack season pass. Driving in a Trans Am. Does a mullet make a man and we'll yeah. wait till get to get through the next couple lines here uh at she likes him with a mustache the band is back in and we get an extra four bars here that i just mentioned guitars go back to the eighth note chug but with accents this time on the and 
mm-hmm. it's so cool. That accent gives the yeah. whole part, an, an, again, an urgency that pre-chorus one didn't have. And pre-chorus one already had that uh, sense of urgency. Really cool there. Uh, then the last lines here, same harmonies and same lyrics. It's like a bad movie. She is looking through me. If you were me, then you'd be screaming someone shoot me as I fail miserably trying to get the girl all the bad guys want those ah ahs are here again again i love that left and right separation that happens there this section why add those uh extra lines she likes him with a mustache i'm down i thought you needed more that was a trick that i had learned from him on this record you know it's the uh that extended second pre-chorus which bowling for soup fans are now super used to because i do it all the time now but i had never really i didn't know that trick And then I learned that trick from him. And so it was another, another, it honestly, it was to get some more funny shit in there. And I'll never forget when I said racetrack season pass, like how, (laughs) and then, and then does a mullet make a man like he's crying on the soundboard, you know, and I'm in the booth, as I said, like I'm singing this as I go. And so like, I'm having trouble getting through the lines. I imagine they do season passes to races. I've never gone, but I imagine (laughs) they do. (laughs) I'm sure they do. I don't know, but but, I want to go to a race with you now. Yeah. Just, uh, but yeah, that, that whole line, you know, racetrack season pass, uh, driving a Trans Am, little tribute to my brother, and his and his Trans Am from the eighties, and then, uh, but you know, does a mullet make a man? I feel like we could have we we should have actually capitalized that over the last few years when the mullet <laughs> came back and done a does a mullet make a man bowling for soup shirt. Well, I got to tell you a couple things. You know, you talked about that baritone guitar earlier, and in my notes, I had you know, and it makes sense now. That baritone does give that. I've always thought it kind of sounds like in a mix, like a low, um, low notes on a piano. And that's what I thought was being ghosted there. But that makes sense that that's, I just wanted to, I just wanted to bring that up, but on, it's like a bad movie here in pre-chorus too. a new guitar arpeggiated part is right up the middle, kind of has a sparkly quality to it. I kept yeah. listening to almost sounds like a 12 string, but I don't think it is. It's, it just has a, has an effect on it. This is where the punk rock of Bowling for Soup starts to go, oh, okay. So this is where like you, you're going to see uh, production-wise over the next three records, us doing way more of the ear candy stuff. Candy for the kids kind of stuff where it's really just for the ear of that one of those listeners like you who are really, really breaking it down. It's, it's a texture thing. We do it vocally. We do it with instruments. We do, I mean, there is so much shit on our songs now. And this is this record opened us up to that with Butch and his production, a big, big thing he had added to us because up until this point, it was two guitars, bass and drums. And we overdubbed the solos and we sang, you know, yeah, and called it a day. That was it. You didn't think about octaves or no. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so here, you know, we're really, really learning of, of like how the layers of how things need to build too. And, you know, I don't know, we'll talk about this uh, as we get to the end of the song, but remind me to talk about the kitchen sink, because all of these things are, it's like a Broadway play, how they, all of the songs sort of like build on one another. And at the end, they all come out and they all melt together, you know, and, and that's, that's, you're throwing in the kitchen sink. And it's so, so all of these layers eventually sort of all are, are building to a point. And uh, so you're adding you, on the second pre-chorus. The reason you're adding that is to differ or to differentiate it from that first one to let them know that okay, we're we're getting somewhere. You but know? you know, it's funny. Again, how many times have I heard this song 
when I got to this part, I had to go back to the first time to see if it was there. Right. Because yeah. it's it's subtle. It's not like this big part. It's just as you called it. It's that it's that ear candy. And 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 I and I love things like that. What I'm calling chorus too is the refrain of because she's the girl all the bad guys want. That happens three times after you say it uh, in pre-chorus two before the downbeat of the chorus hits. We get those want call and responses happen, and that major guitar hook uh, of the song is running all through this. And then we go to the bridge. There she goes again with fishnets on and dreadlocks in her hair. She broke my heart, I want to be sedated. All I wanted was to see her naked. I love this bridge. Stereo yeah. guitars, bass, and drums go to these double snare. It's almost like a march here. Yeah. Dun, dun. Dun, yeah. dun. Uh, very staccato and choppy. It totally feels different from the rest of the track. I think it's so awesome. We get harmonies on the first two lines. There she goes again with fishnets on and dreadlocks in her hair. She broke my heart. I want to be sedated. All I wanted was to see her naked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like a little uh, Ramones uh, reference there. And then their stereotypical Bowling for Soup funny line out of out of the broken heart line. Right. I mean, we, we can't mm -hmm. we can't allow it to be too serious here. So uh, <laughs> and so, you know, you, you always going to want to try to get to that point. You know, it's funny. I'm going to go uh, as we get into this. So that there she goes again with fishnets on and dreadlocks in her hair. So that's going to lead into something as we do the kitchen sink. So as we get to the next part. Oh, uh, OK. I will, OK. I will. Uh, I'll ref I'll re-reference that. Well, a couple more things here. Again, we only get harmonies on those first two lines from she broke my heart to all I wanted was to see her naked. No harmonies there. But between I want to be sedated and the last line, uh, the naked line, the band goes halftime over that whole next line. And we get those same ah uh, ah uh, vocals. And that sparkly guitar from pre-chorus two comes in. In at the very end of the bridge here, it's so cool. And it's beautiful too, right? It, it is. It it, it yeah. It, it yeah. comes out of nowhere, and you can really hear it there because it's kind of broke down. Uh, yeah. And then we get four floor tom and snare hits to take us in to pre-chorus three, which I'm calling the pre-chorus three breakdown. I love this because now it changes to first person. You're not talking yeah. about her. Now I am watching wrestling, trying to be a tough guy, listening to rap metal, turn tables in my eyes. I can't grow a mustache and I ain't got no season pass. All yeah. I got's a moped. Right. Doesn't <laughs> rhyme. Just like, this is just like, how uncool can you possibly make? I mean, guy? at least get a used Vespa or a right. Lark. A moped is just. By the time we went back to do 1985 and, and uh, or that record, at least <laughs> he had a Vespa. He had a Vespa. <laughs> 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 and uh so yeah that's all i got to moped because in our mind it's like the kind that you had to pedal 
you know, first. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, to get, get it cranked. And like we're, yeah. and we're, we're, again, we're going, oh, my God, can you imagine? This guy is just, like, peddling this thing by her house, you know. And, uh, you know, it, it just uh, it made for a very funny visual. But here's another thing about that part, though, is I was very sick. And so that that breakdown, my voice is really, really rough, and I I remember hating it. But it adds to just the desperation of it. Really, you do sound strange there. Yeah, and I right? I gotta yeah. tell you, I didn't want to say this. Do you remember if stuff was auto tuned? Because there's some I'm gonna call them wrong notes. When you say trying to be, it's like flat. It's like a wrong note, but yeah. it. If you changed it, it wouldn't sound like this. It doesn't yeah. need to be fixed. Right. So there is some tuning involved in it, but we don't, we don't do like the whole, like, uh, just, you know, everything's auto-tuned or whatever, you know, I mean, we do, we do it like everybody else does it. Right. Um, this, this man, he just left it to me for it to be my voice. And, and again, I didn't feel good. I mean, I, I was having a great time, but I was, I was sick and you yeah, know, I'd been yeah. singing for three weeks. And, and as a singer, that's an absolute nightmare. I was tired. Yeah. You're I'm literally like in the studio recovering. This is a big deal because obviously the labels called me about this song and they, you know, about, about the idea of this song. Like, you know, I, I, there's some pressure here. And so I, um, I'm so glad it turned out the way it did. It drives me crazy to hear it to this day because I know, you know, oh God, it's so weird. Like my voice sounds weird, you know? So I'm glad we got to re-record it for the greatest hits, but yeah, uh, I've never, I've never again, analyzed this song going into this part. Now that you say you weren't feeling good, it sounds like you got in the mic, like, and you captured something because Butch liked it. It, it ended up staying. Oh yeah, it ended, up, it ended up staying. Why, uh, why mess with perfection? Well, some cool things happening here. Do I hear a sequencer or like a guitar? Guitar feedback from a pedal holdover from the bridge that slowly like fades, kind of fades in and out here. And then there's a lone guitar and piano here with a vocal until the bass guitar comes in playing single notes around I can't grow a mustache line. Am I hearing piano here? Yes. And that's, uh, you know, again, one of another one of those things that, that we learned from Butch on production and stuff is that like you can have... You know, we had never done that. We had never put piano on things or like B3 on things. Well, you, you know, don't have a piano player. That was my argument early on. You know, Howard Benson's like, I want to put a keyboard. I'm like, we don't have a keyboard. He's like, we're making a record. This isn't live. I had never heard that before. I had never heard we're making a record. This isn't you playing. You go do what you want on stage. We're making a record. It's like, yeah. hmm. Yeah. That, I mean, it is weird to get your head around that. Especially coming from where we come from, right? Like you, you want to be able to recreate what it is you're doing in the studio on stage. And we pride ourselves in that. I mean, as sure. you know, I mean, like, we play a little fast, but we pride ourselves on, on sounding like we sound. Like being able to pull off, especially vocally, what it is we do. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, and you guys do. Yeah, as do you. But yeah, there's, there is something to the thing of like, hey, we're in a studio. Let's use the studio and that that this is again where we're learning that that like never thought about the fact that you could have like a piano on something or whatever and then again this this leads us down the craziest rabbit hole because by th three albums later th there's freaking keyboards on everything there's piano <laughs> yeah. on everything you know yeah. it's just it everything 
you know, yeah. and um, well, this and was so, the per- it, this is the perfect storm, perfect match with Butch. It it worked 100%. out for it worked yeah. out for both of you. Well, a couple other uh, cool things here uh, on moped. You hear the first one, but the other two mopeds are delayed. Uh, they're like a, a response to that first one. I love that. And then you want to talk about a song, uh, peaks and valleys, ebbing and flowing. You go from the bridge to this breakdown. Now you're back into a pre-chorus three. I'm calling it. it's like a bad movie. She is looking through me. If you were me, then you'd be screaming. Someone shoot me as I fail miserably trying to get the girl, all the bad guys want back to the eighth note, loose chug with the stereo guitars and that arpeggiated overdub guitar joins us once again here. The ah ahs at the end here, Jarrett, they're super loud. Yeah. At this yeah, part. We bring it all in, man. Yeah, this is the I, part where I, I love I wanna- that. I want to give you a secret. So this is where we're throwing in the kitchen sink, right? We're bringing in all of the different various B parts. And this is one of the beauties, again, of Pro Tools, too, is that you can take parts, other sections of the song, and put them in to the end. And we do this all the time, where it's like something, oh, my God, that bridge bridge melody flows over this outro. Yeah. So we get to this part. And as we're writing the song and we're starting to track all the, before we're doing the vocal at the end, you know, we, we have that, there she goes again with fish nets on. So at the end, we just instinctively all start singing. There she goes, there she goes again. And it fits perfect. And it's all in our heads, but it's like, oh fuck, we can't do that. You know, like Mm -hmm. that's a whole, you know, like we could, we could do it. But it's going to cost us a oh, chunk. Oh yeah, of we're going to we're going to be we're going to be paying some publishing for that. Well, and we had just dealt with George Clinton on on a, on a thing for Last Rock Show, and and we were just like we were very wounded at this point. Like, oh yeah, it. it's a we're nightmare. To, yeah. So anyway, so that's so that changed to there she goes again. You know, so we at least hint at it. Uh, and then, uh, so for a long time during the live part, like we would, Eric would sing that part or whatever, but now people just know it as being what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, but just a funny story about how things at studio magic kind of shit, you know, where no, it's just, I, I, I love that. And that was one of the, when I first got pro tools, it just blew my mind that you could move stuff around so easy. I mean, yeah, I could have went and sang that part over it, but Hey, I'm just going to see what this sounds like. I'm going to take the the pre-chorus and fly it. And you'd be like, and you'd be amazed what it does sometimes. And it really opens your mind. Also yeah. just being able working with computers, something I never really discussed on the show. You know, I always felt like, prior to to digital recording that i was just kind of going down a a, a tunnel you know you're looking forward you're not looking side to side and this opened up looking side to side on a computer screen and really really helped me with uh with songwriting and and arranging parts which is kind of kind of what you were saying well i want to add to that i think one of the things too though that that pro and as i mentioned this earlier one of the things that Pro Tools does for you, not only for just adding things, it's taking things away. It's like, yes. man, should I mute that on this mm-hmm. part or whatever? And so, like, it's even when you're tracking, just be like, you can be like, yeah, go ahead and play that or go ahead and sing it. And we'll, you know, I'd rather have uh, Linus of Hollywood calls it footage. I'd rather have the footage, you know, yeah. like I may, I may edit that out, but at least I want the footage. And yeah. so, um, Big thing about Pro, Pro Tools actually is you can make a breakdown part out of a out of a whole band part with a few clicks of the of the button. Well, I think because you know you really only get 
because she's the girl the bad guys want. You only get it four times here and twice at the top. So at the end here, you can kill it. You know, you didn't kill it before. So at the end, we get eight of them down here on the last one. We don't get a want. It's just she's the girl, all the bad guys, and the band goes dun-dun-dun. It yep. ends, and that dun-dun-dun harkens back to when the band does it the other times in the song. So I love how it gets tied up there. And on the last four lines, on lines five and six, and then again on seven and eight, it's repeated. Those are those backing vocals. There she goes again that are held out. I couldn't figure out what you were saying there, and now I know. I love when those vocals come in there. It's, yeah. It just... it it only happens uh at the very end and it's just it's refreshing it's as you said ear candy something uh, something new We have that special ability, just like you guys, to be able to bring in a different voice because everybody in our band can sing. So like, you know, like that part obviously features Eric uh, on the original version and on the greatest hits. Rob sings that part. But that's that's another cool texture thing that we're able to do because we we have, you know, th- th- our band is built around our vocals. So instead of the lead singer, so to speak, singing everything, we bring in that second singer and it's almost like a different instrument. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's just the fact that we we were able to to do that there. You know, it it just it just uh, so many layers. You guys made a great record. You know, you did with all these songs. But this one came in in the eleventh hour, and yeah. it became the first single. Yeah. Do you remember first hearing it back? You know, he floored the uh, studio monitors, cranked it up, Butch cranked it up, and you're sitting there listening, going, "What was your initial uh, reaction?" So I'm going to be honest with you about this. And this is the exact same scenario that happened with 1985. That record was recorded. 1985 came in the last hour. And I still thought I had better songs. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) I can't hear a hit, Chris. I can't. And it's not an ego thing. I just thought, I just thought Emily was better. I thought Surf Colorado was a better song, you know. Mm -hmm. There is nothing within me that thinks that anymore. I just gravitate towards what I like. And again, it's not an ego thing because I do a lot of co-writes now. And sometimes they're my favorite and sometimes they're not. So what happened was, is, is I brought that back. I got a board mix of that song. And, you know, there were a lot of people in here in my life that were excited to hear what it was we had been doing down there um in atlanta we recorded that i should have said this in the beginning we recorded that's the first of the records that we recorded in atlanta we did three there and uh not all with butch but we just fell in love with recording in atlanta georgia and so it was playing it for other people it was playing it for you know zach malloy is playing it for my friend tim you know playing it for my friend casey you know guys that like knew Bowling for Soup and knew where we had already been in the past that we had been down and to show them this and like to see their reactions to it. And they're your best friends. They're not going to blow smoke. They're going to tell you this sucks or this is great. Yeah. And most of the time they'll just be like, okay, that's, that's cool. You know, whatever. But when they're like eyes are big and open and they're like, Jesus Christ, dude, yeah. you know, you're onto something. Yeah. Um, I think it started to really sink in at the time where it's just like, man, I mean, this is, this is the fucking, this is it. You know, this is the path we're going down. I knew it was really cool and I knew it was great, but you know, I'd lived with these other, you know, 14 songs for so long, you know, like I, and I, I just thought they were all so great, you know, but 
I realize how special this song is and, and, uh, and what, you know, again, back to the first of the, in- of the interview to, to throw it back. Cause that's what we do as professionals. Uh, <laughs> it just so many firsts, this song. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, well, you I mean, know, you, you, got You got invited to the Grammys. I mean, just the Joan River story alone is worth the price of admission, but what this, so the right. doors that this opened for Butch too, that can't be understated. What it opened for you guys. I mean, it's just, uh, just, just record making. Think about what you learned. You've, you've said it through this whole episode. 100%. Yeah. I mean, I learned so much from that guy. I'm one of those guys. I try to learn from every experience. And, and uh, I talk about co-writing a lot because I, I do talk to like songwriting classes or, you know, uh, School of Rocks and things like that. And, and I always say, you know, like no matter who is in the room, whether they're less experienced than you or more experienced than you, you there's always something to take away. Oh, yeah. You know, but when you work with somebody like Butch Walker or Linus or those guys like that, I just try and absorb all of it. You know, I'll, I'll fucking ask a question. I try not to be overbearing, but I'm just like, what did you just do right there? Yeah. You know, like I want to, I want to make a mental note of that. And with Butch, his motto back then, and I don't know if he still says it, but he would just, he would just say making records is easy and fun. And he would just say it all the time. Like we would be, we, he'd be like, man, isn't this great? Making records is easy and fun. And we left going, it kind of fucking is, you know, yeah. like it's that, that was fucking easy and fun. Like what we, you make it, but we made it, you know, and, uh, I'm super proud of that record. Drunk enough to dance is, is by far the fan favorite record, you know, mm-hmm. like if, it, um, it's, it's definitely, and you know, I, as you, you know, you guys, as many albums as you are in and as many albums as we are in, you, you always think it's your latest thing. You're like, ah, this could compete, you know, but, and I do think that, I mean, I do think our last record is great and, and, and all that, but if you go back on the nostalgia, as you guys just did with your tour, you had to go oh, back yeah. and listen, listen to that record. And there has to be some part of you that when you're listening to it, you go, yeah, I kind of get it. I kind of get why this is the fan favorite. Oh, you know? oh a- a- absolutely. And I, I've never looked that gift horse in the eye. I've, I've always just been very respectful of that. And I've talked to yeah. him about it a million times on this show. It's the memories with those songs. I, and I always use the Metallica example. I don't care how good their new record is. And they got some rippers on the new album. It doesn't have 36 years of memories, 37 years of memories like Master of Puppets. It just doesn't. That's a great, that's a great way to put it because, you know, that's just it. It's like people who are coming to see you know, I mean, uh, drunk enough to dance now is, is, uh, 20, 21. It can drink 21. Yeah. Because, uh, because <laughs> hangover turns 20, 20 next year, yeah. so, you know, 21 years of memory. So if you were just think, I mean, you know, 14, 15 year old kids, you know, are now shit math's hard, but you know, they're almost 40 for Christ's sake, I know. you know, and, it, and it's like, that's a long time yeah. to have lived with these songs and had them in your life and exposed other people to them and talk to people about them and put it on at a party or put it on when you're sad. And, you know, that's a really good way to put it, uh, is just that I never thought about that actually in that way of that, like mm-hmm. that's 20 years of memories. Um, mm-hmm. you're so it right. Is. I mean, there's a reason generator is my favorite bad religion record, you know, it's yeah. because I, that driving around in my little shitty pickup truck and Wichita yep. Falls, Texas going, I just need to start a punk band, you know? Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I get it. It's that, uh, it's that time. You can't replace the yeah. time. You can't replace those memories. And there's so many firsts, you know, how many times you've heard it, you know, my, my college girlfriend and I, we, we first got together listening to this song and it's, uh-huh. you can't, yep. you can't compete with those memories. I've always said it before we break. First of all, 
Thank you. I always ask the guest, what do you got coming up? I know what you got coming up. You got a tour with Lit. This is the only two bands in the world that decide they're just going to tour Florida, but throw in a New Orleans play just for the heck of it. <laughs> right. Well, you know what? I, so funny. We're doing the rock boat and my manager came to me and was just like, hey, man, maybe you should just do like a tour leading up to that. And, uh, sure. to, and I'm like, I honestly, Chris, I go. That sounds terrible. Like I'm going to be so hungover, you know, and then Jeremy, before I get in the boat. Yeah. He called Jeremy calls me. He goes, what do you think about this? And I'm like, well, let me ask the band. And I'd say, I say the band, I think they're going to have the same opinion that I did. And Gary goes, you're saying that we can get Florida out of the way in January and not have to go there this summer. Let's fucking go. And I'm yes. just like, okay. you know, so yeah, uh, we're, we're on tour with lit and, uh, the Dolly rots in January, uh, heading out to the rock boat. Then we will be in the UK with the great less than Jake and the Vandaliers. And then, yes. uh, we're going to Canada for the first time in a few years in April. And then, uh, all summer long, uh, and after we will be celebrating 30 years of Bowling for Soup and 20 years of Hangover You Don't Deserve. And uh, in between all of that, I will be doing country shows galore uh, for Jarrett Ray Reddick and that project that that I have. And, uh, you know, and trying to sleep when I can, as you said earlier. I was going to say, I, I don't know where you find the time. The dude has a solo country career on top of everything else that you yeah. have going on. I love it. I love you. And thank you. I love you, brother. Thank you. Come back to Texas It's just not the same since you went away Before you lose your accent And forget all about the Lone Star State Jarrett Reddick is one of the good ones, ladies and gentlemen, and I hope you enjoyed that conversation with him. But don't go anywhere. We got lots more Chris to Makes a Podcast coming right up after a few words from our sponsors. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Hey, everybody. I'm sure you've heard us mention the Chris to Makes a Podcast supporting cast many times on here, but I'm going to mention it again. Going to ChrisToMakes.com and signing up for our supporting cast not only allows us to continue making this podcast, but you'll also get bonus episodes of the After Party each week. When you sign up at ChrisToMakes.com, you'll instantly get access to our entire back catalog, which includes the episode titled Worst Songs Ever, in which Chris and I go through a list of songs we found on the internet, which are supposedly the worst songs ever, although we don't necessarily agree. Here's a clip from that episode. It to you, Chris. Yeah, we laugh because it's a song about thongs. But have you listened to this song recently? I have not. No, I, I, I of course I know this song. I don't. You'd have to be living uh, uh, in, in a bunker 500 feet below the the, the Earth's core to uh, 
uh, to not have heard this song. But no, I have not listened to it recently. What's up? The string arrangement in this song is insane and awesome. Like, the production of this song is amazing. And yeah, it's funny. It's about thongs. Whatever. You got to pay attention to the music in this song. The strings in this song, which are performed by violinist Bruce Dukov, are inspired by a strings cover of Eleanor Rigby. And it is absolutely insane. I think this song is kind of a masterpiece, honestly. Well, I'll have to go back and listen to it. I will tell you off the top of my head, this wouldn't have been one that even probably made my top 100 worst songs just due to the fact that, you know, especially dance type of music, they're... uh, I hate being cliche here, but the, the, the term sex sells. And sex is always going to be a part of music and rock and roll. And talking about the thong and the booty and, and all that kind of stuff, is it, it sells records. And, and a lot of times it can be really fun. Uh, this isn't something that I ever find myself driving down the road listening to. But I would not I would not consider this a worse song. Dude, and it's so funny, too, because Cisco, who famously has usually like white or silver hair, claims that the first time he saw a thong, it turned his hair white. Kind of like what happened to Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments, which is really <laughs> funny. Uh, another- if you'd like to hear this whole episode, plus a giant back catalog of episodes, plus a new episode each week, plus allow us to continue making Chris Demakes a podcast, head on over to ChrisDemakes.com and join our supporting cast. Thanks, everybody. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, email your best song via MP3 only and a short bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is a pop-punk band from Orlando, Florida called Out of Time, featuring Michael Forbes on vocals, Tony Murphy on bass and vocals, Tony Alessi on the drums, and Justin Robinson on guitar. You can find all their stuff on all the streaming platforms. Here's a snippet of their song, False Start. This was a false start to a false start. We're bending over backwards. We're up to shore, we're moving forward. It was a false start to a false start. The Rap with Chris and Chris. So Chris, it was really nice to have our mutual friend Jarrett Reddick back. He was there when we first started the podcast, and I'm glad he can come back after all these years. And Chris, this is not the first time that we've heard this story of the hit song being the last song written after the completion of the rest of the record. Yeah, we didn't really get too deep into it, but I could imagine the A&R guy sitting back. He's got all 16 songs. He's listening. He likes the record, you know, thinks maybe this song could be a second single or maybe this this ballad could be the third single, but we don't have the first single yet. And then, of course, Girl All the Bad Guys Want uh, happens and and, uh, the rest is history. Yeah, this was a big song, a song that a lot of people remember. You know, memory I have of this from like, I don't know, the past four or five years, I guess... 1985 was kind of the song that I always think of being the huge hit for Bowling for Soup. But I was at a party and they had this thing. It was like a power hour, you know, a power hour where you take a drink <laughs> once every minute for an hour. So they make these things on YouTube where it's like songs of the 2000s or whatever. And a new song, every time the song changes to a different music video, you take a drink. And I remember a girl, all the bad guys want came on. I'm like, oh my God, there they are. And I didn't. 
I guess I didn't realize how big this song really was. Oh, yeah. Well, I told Jarrett my timeline was a little off. I went back and I'm researching, and I thought uh, these two songs, 85 and uh, Girl All the Bad Guys Want, were from the same record. But uh, Girls from Drunk Enough to Dance in 02, and then A Hangover You Don't Deserve uh, followed two years later. But in the timeline of it all, and this song was massive. And I told Jarrett, when you look out in the audience, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's nights when this gets as good or a better reaction than 85. Big song. It's funny that I think I hear the song more now than I did back when it came out and was on the radio and stuff. Because you say this a lot. Sometimes you say this about like the mid 90s. I might say this about the early 2000s. I wasn't real tuned into what was on the radio at that point. I think I'm more tuned into it now than I was then. Now it's kind of like a blind spot for me. But uh, yeah, it's really cool to hear all these stories. They went to the Grammys. If Joan Rivers is making fun of you, you know that you made it. It's almost like uh, how they say if Weird Al parodies your song, you made it. It's kind of like if Joan Rivers is talking shit, you know you're you're doing something right, right? Yeah, I thought that was great. I had read that, but uh, you know how, how many late nights I've stayed up with that guy talking about everything from you know heavy metal to whatever. Ne- never came across the Joan Rivers story. Made, made me uh, made me giggle. Yeah, hey, I really like the quote. And I think one of those things I always want to think about, making records is easy and fun. (laughs) Why shouldn't it be? If it's not, why are you doing it? I mean, at least the fun part. I know every part of it isn't easy. Sometimes you might get frustrated because you're trying to play the same part over and over and you keep messing it up. I know we've all been there. But the fun part should always be there. If it's not fun, what are you doing? Well, it reminds me of when uh, Rachel from Skid Row was on talking about they were out and they just, they hit a wall in the studio one day and the engineer producer, Michael Wagner's like, let's go jet skiing. They just took the whole day off. They went jet skiing, had to get away for a second, clear your mind because yes, it's supposed to be fun. That does come across in the recording for sure. Yeah. You're getting in a room with your friends, you're being creative, you're playing instruments, you're in a freaking rock band. <laughs> this should be this should be like Christmas morning every time you wake up to go to the studio. And I'm sure anybody who's in a band has had the experience of like waking up feeling like uh either frustrated or whatever, but Sometimes you just got to remind yourself, this is supposed to be fun. This is fun. Practice is fun. Recording is fun. Don't forget that. You'll hear it in the music if you do. Mm-hmm. And something that's not lost on Jarrett, sometimes you have to just think of the stars aligning. And I think that the stars align for both Bowling for Soup and Butch Walker. I think that this collaboration had to happen. Had it not, who knows, we'd be talking about uh, Bowling for Soup and Butch in the same light. It's not a knock against either one of them, but this is the song that kind of catapulted both of them to, uh, to be where they're at today. It's wild to think about how everything has to happen exactly as it happened. I'm talking from the people getting together to start a band, maybe when they're teenagers, to meeting someone along the way, to someone seeing that band and signing them to a record label, to getting in that room and creating that song that becomes a hit. If one thing along the way is changed or doesn't happen or happens differently, that song is not a hit song. Oh, absolutely. I, I think if I start thinking about this stuff for too long, I'll I'll, uh, I'll drive myself nuts. You know, what, <laughs> what what if Roger went to the University of Miami and not you know University of Florida? Would would I be sitting here talking to right. you? Would I have known Punchline? And that's uh, a uh, crazy, crazy thoughts. I'll tell you another crazy thought, Chris. What's that? That we outside of this wonderful podcast, we also have a supporting cast which is our version of patreon and that's where you can get bonus episodes of the after party at chrisdemakes.com you can sign up for our supporting cast and hear chris and i talk even more than we're talking to you right now we can really go down the path of how we ended up here and how we've made 
hundreds and hundreds of episodes of podcasts together. It's all because, I don't know, 20 some years ago, my little band opened for your big band <laughs> in Florida somewhere. And now look, here we are. We, we're along this path. We make two podcasts together. Krista Makes a Podcast and The After Party which you can subscribe to at kristamakes.com. That's right. And thanks to everybody out there that listens to this podcast, everybody that uh, is part of our supporting cast. Thank you for making the podcast you know and love uh, continue to truck down the road. We appreciate all of your support. And uh, follow Chris Fafalius on Instagram and follow me, Less Than Chris D, on Instagram. We also have a Krista Makes a Podcast Instagram page now. Lots of cool content being uh, thrown up there as well as the Krista Makes official YouTube page. Lots of great content Chris is constantly in there putting cool stuff up. I love content. Who doesn't? Who doesn't love content? (laughs) And I want to thank this week's repeat guest. Yes, we've had him here before. My good friend from Bowling for Soup, Mr. Jarrett Ray Reddick. And we'll see you next week. Hey, everybody. Satan here. I know what you're thinking. Jesus Christ, Satan has a podcast now, too? No, no, that's not it. But I am here to tell you about a podcast, and it's one that's all about my favorite band, Punchline. Not the band you expected me to say, right? You probably figured I'd like Slayer, or maybe some backwards Beatles records or something. Those are okay, but you usually find me rocking out to fan-favorite Punchline albums like Action or Lion while I'm torturing dead people for all of eternity. Punchline's podcast is called A Band Called Punchline, and it's super entertaining to listen to this documentary-style look back at the 25 years of my favorite band. Honestly, I'm really feeling like I'm getting to know these guys, and their story is amazing! I'm so ready for them to get down here, I have so many questions! I gotta give them credit for catching on to my whole 37 thing, too. There's a reason why they're my favorite band, and if you listen to their podcast, they might become yours, too. A band called Punchline is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Check it out, and I'll see you all in hell. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or were nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.